2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get lowest as can be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours with all 192 pre-ordered renos. What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan.
4: You're welcome to Wednesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. The number to contact us on, I'll give it to you once again. Top of the show today, 86 658 That's the WhatsApp number. You can text us there as well, eighteen fifty seven one five nine five eight. 715 if you'd like to call in or across our social media platforms, LMFM. Today on the show, lots of interesting chat coming up, including the Sudbury School. A year on, it's a very different type of school, and Amid Mum has taken her children out of formal schooling and put them in, and there's a year under their belt at this stage. How are they getting on? We're going to find out when we talk to Julie Meehan a little bit later on. Barbara Kelly is in her agony, and she's dealing with personal problems, if you have them, those numbers, if you want to get in touch with her. And we meet Shane Holland. you remember the guy who chained himself to the tree in Scaries a few weeks back? Well, this man has so many strings to his bow. Oh, and listen to this, he's collected over 10,000 pieces of plastic from the seas off our coast, the coast we live on here in the northeast. And he's joining us in a wee while for a chat. But first up today. It's all over the place and understandably, they're the youngest ever to be convicted of murder in the history of the Irish state. Boys A and B were just 13 when they took the life of Anna Criagel. What does it say about youngsters today and the society, this society in Ireland that we're living in when something like this happens? Shane Dunphy is a good friend of Late Lunch. He's a child protection expert and head of the Social Studies Department at Waterford Institute of Further Education and he's with me on the line. Good afternoon. Good afternoon,
0: Shane. Hi Jerry. how are
4: you? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking our call. Not at all. Can I say this to start off? This is an exceptional case. Um, should we be alarmed for children in general from both aspects Shane, perpetrators and victims?
0: Well obviously the first thing I want to say is just to express my um, deepest condolences and support for Anna's family uh, because this has been an absolutely horrendous Um, and obviously life-altering experience for them. I Mm. mean, reading the articles um, across the media today, I mean, they, they were represented in court every single day throughout all of this. And I mean, I've spoken to a number of journalists who would have been in Uh, The court as well, um, or who who have been covering it, shall we say, and who've been listening to all of the evidence. And I mean, a lot of them who are very hardened uh, and who would have experienced quite a number of, of murder cases before have said that this has been the most shocking and the most disturbing case that they've covered. Um, so I can only imagine what her family has been going through.
4: Yes, and that contexted nicely. It, it really does. Thank you for that. And yeah, we no join no, in those at sympathies. All, not yeah. at all. Yeah.
0: Um, to, to answer your question, I mean, I, I don't want to... I, I always feel that it's important that we, we look at things from a, a, a realistic perspective. Um, number one, I think that the first message that we all need to take from this, and it's the one that I'm seeing highlighted across particularly a lot of social media today, is the fact that this case highlights the fact that this girl was bullied in the most appalling way for an extended period of time. It seems that a large number of people, both adults and her peers, were aware of this, but that it seems to have been allowed to continue um, and that nobody stood up and said, you know, that, that, that this is appalling, this is atrocious, that this shouldn't be something that, that occurs within our community, whether that's a community of a school, whether it's a community of, you know, young people, of, of, of education, um, whatever kind of stamp you want to put on the community, the collective of people, both adults and youngsters that were around her, were aware that this girl... Was, was being um, victimized in the most awful way, and that it was allowed to continue. And I think that that's something we really need to examine. We talk about bullying a lot. You and I have talked about yes. bullying on this show before, and we've looked at different ways to address it. And, you know, I think that, 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 we, that obviously this is telling us that, that we need to up our game in relation to that. Um, And I think that that's the number one thing. Now, never mind, obviously, the the murder is a whole separate issue. But that in itself, that this young girl, who to all intents and purposes, everything that we're hearing about her tells us that she was a sweet-natured, gentle, intelligent, articulate young person who who just wanted the same thing things that everybody else wanted, wanted friendship, wanted acceptance wanted to be able to live her life the way she wanted to live it. And for some reason or other, there was a judgment within the community that seemed to feel that she shouldn't be given the freedom to do that without being given a bloody hard time. And that's not okay. So, number one, what does that say to us and how can we address that? There's a whole dialogue that needs to be looked at. Number one, within teachers and adults in the community, how they should respond. And number two, young people need to be stepping back and saying, okay. um, what role do I have in this? Do I need to check my interactions? Do I need to look at, you know, should I be standing up if I see somebody being given a hard time to 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 ally myself with them and to say that this is not okay? Every single one of us need to look at that because sometimes I think there's this idea that bullying can be in some way character-builder. That um, you know that we all every now and again need a bit of a kick in the arse, and we all need to not get too up ourselves. And this word banter that we hear an awful lot. Oh, that's just banter. That that gets my goat, to be honest with you, Jerry. Um, you know, sometimes I think banter is an excuse for being mean and being rude and and being bullying. And I I think we just need to we need to examine that. I think that that context is very very important. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing that we need to look at is that if we look at the, the, the details of what happened to this girl, and because of the fact that it's the early time of the day that it is, I'm not going to go into the intimate details yes. of what happened, but because the, there could be kids listening and it's very distressing stuff. Um, but we're all aware of, of of what happened to Anna. We now live in a world where the most aggressive and violent and distressing pornography is available at the the tap of an iPhone or an Android or a laptop or a tablet. And there's very, very little preventing very, very young people from accessing that material. One of the problems that an awful lot of commentators have about the access that everyone has to pornography these days is the fact that it portrays an idea about what human sexual interaction is like, which is utterly unrealistic, which is often very, very debasing for women, and can also sometimes be extremely dangerous and extremely violent. But it sends out messages, particularly to young men, that certain types of interactions are okay, and also that often you know, a woman may be expressing that she's not okay with what's going on. That it's okay to ignore that. It blurs those lines between what is acceptable and what is not. And I fear that what we have seen here, and we we know about the amount of um, imagery and, and videos and the types of web searches that 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 that, that, that some of these, that one of these kids particularly was, was, inter, was engaging in on his devices. It's has been covered, again, across an awful lot of the media. Um, and I think that it tells us, again, that we need to look at that. This is something, again, you and I have talked about on the program, yes. about what responsibility we have as adults and as parents to help our young people in relation to the access that they have to the online world um, the Internet is, is, is widely heralded as one of the greatest information um, the greatest inventions um, of the modern age that it 's something which has absolutely revolutionized the way we live our lives, and that is true. However, it has also opened the door on some of the most primal of human behavior and unfortunately, many, many young people don't have the experience or the capacity to edit what it is that they're seeing and to understand that it is often presenting a sometimes very, very dark fantasy image of of what real people do. And I think that that's something that we need to take away from this trial, that we are no longer able to turn a blind eye and say, oh, look, that's okay. You know, kids should be able to choose. Unfortunately, some kids are not able to make informed and educated choices and I think that what happened to Anna is a direct result of some very, very, very bad choices that were made.
4: When you think, Shane, of the ages, right? I said there they were 13 when this happened and that amount of images on a phone was probably gathered over a period of time. They could have been as young as 11 or 12 when they're accessing this. So is it now time, as you said, we have, you and I have spoken about this before, is it now Um, time to grab the bull by the horns? Is it time for government to legislate, to restrict? Is it up to parents and guardians and people who, you know, have the, the, the yay or nay with children to say to, to say, to, you know, take the bull by the horns and say no?
0: I mean, I've done quite a bit of research on this in the past, and I think the last time you and I talked about this was after a piece I'd done for the journal, yeah. in which I discussed the ins and outs and the ramifications of legislating. What most of the um, online watchdogs tell us is that legislation probably won't do anything positive because Mm. kids see it as a challenge and they just find ways around it. Um, I, I think that what we do need to look at is educating young people about this. I think that there needs to be open dialogue. And I think that there needs to be... I think we need to look at how we train teachers. I mean, what you've just said is absolutely true. Very probably, these kids started gathering their information and building up their perception and their idea base about human sexuality, probably from the age of of, of maybe 10 or 11. Uh, We now know that because of diet and because of of, of sort of the the changing um, sort of body shape of, of kids children are now hitting adolescence much younger than they did before it's not unusual now for young boys to be hitting adolescence and developing an interest in the other sex as young as 10 and 11 years of age and that's when they start becoming curious about these things and wanting to explore and whereas you know when you and I were kids you know that was a conversation behind the bike sheds in school um, you know probably with maybe slightly older guys for kids these days it, these explorations and these discussions happen online and they happen on some social media. So we need to be talking to kids from a much, much younger age about what's out there, about what they're likely to be encountering, and about the realities of that. Um,
4: I've, I've just got a message in by, what, sorry for cutting across you, Shane. Okay. Just, just, I want to read this just while you're on this. Um, sure. uh, Anya's come on to us here and she describes herself as a babysitter, right? And she sure. says she's listening intently to what you're saying and uh, really enjoying what you have to say, Shane. And she just says, would you put it to Shane, we've talked and talked about social media and children. Experts have given their opinions, as you mentioned, Shane, a moment ago there. And at the end of the day, it's parents' that I see who often give and give in to them and give them the screen time.
0: You are so right. You are so right about that. Um, the, uh, recently I was in a, 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 a cafe and I was looking at a table which was adjacent to me and there was a kid, I would say, of about three years of age with a mobile phone in his hand and uh, he was clearly navigating um, some kind of website. I think it was probably the the kiddie version of Netflix or something like that. But he was moving his way through. You could see him. He was watching something and then he was tapping the screen and he was watching something else. And I mean, he was already incredibly um, sort of obviously computer literate at a very, very young age. I mean, look, my, my own grandson is, is six and he he got a tablet for his birthday. I mean, I have mixed feelings about it, but um, the fact of the matter is, I mean, I would have had a conversation with his parents, and they're saying that they very, very um, carefully watch and and monitor what it is that he's viewing. But again, I mean, I remember my grandson being able to do stuff with the remote control of our TV when he was two, that I wasn't able to do to um, (laughs) access certain problems. I would say to Maurice, how did you do that? Do you know what I mean? And he was showing me. He'd worked it out for himself. Kids now grow up in a world where this stuff is, is a daily experience for them at a very young age. The message that I consistently give is don't allow devices or the television become the thing that is raising your child. And I also say, and this is something that I believe very firmly, and I've gotten criticized for this, I believe as parents, when your kids are 10, 11, 12, 13 years of age even, I think that you should be doing spot checks on their devices. You should be saying, look, hand it over to me. I want to know what your various different passwords and uh, your, your, your PIN codes are. And I'm going to look at what it is that you're using. And I think that the, 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 d- the days when we can have people saying that's breaching their, um, their privacy, that's the same as reading their diary, I'm sorry. I mean, if somebody had actually been doing that with boy A and boy B, maybe we could have avoided a terrible tragedy. So I think it's something that parents need to be doing because the fact is we can't expect kids of that age to be able to make sensible choices. Mm. I, I, again, I've talked about this before. Would you allow an 11-year-old free access to your car? No. Do you know what I mean? No. Don't, there are age limits that we put on these things. Mm. Would you allow an 11-year-old unfettered access to a firearm? People say to me, you know, look, that you're being an asshole. Computers and phones are not the same thing. Actually, they can be life-threatening. We now have surely conclusive proof that they can be. It's time, I believe, that we need to kind of just move away from the right-on attitude um, and actually start being sensible and saying, look, we just cannot allow children this. It's just too dangerous. And you can't put an old head on young shoulders. Look, I've had conversations with people who are involved in you know, different aspects of the sex industry, and they say to me, you know, look, it's a job, the same as any other, and we now live um, in an age where people can make mature choices about these things, you know, and that pornography is a fact of life, and we just need to accept it. Uh, And fair enough, and I accept that there are some people out there who consider that it's empowering and that it's valid, and, you know, that the vast majority of people use it in one way or another, and fair enough. However... There is an age limit on these things and allowing small, you know, young kids, adolescents and pre-adolescents, free access, I think is just okay. It's just not okay and is, is potentially damaging. And one of the ways to prevent that from happening is to take a much more active role in their usage of computers, phones, tablets, And I I don't think that there's any other way around that. And also having mature and sometimes uncomfortable conversations with them about what they're likely to encounter. Um, That's just, again, something parents are just going to have to do. That means that we also have to be prepared to open that type of dialogue with our kids. Look, I, I have a daughter. Do you know what I mean? She's 20 years of age. She has a boyfriend. As a dad, do I want to be having conversations with her? About about sex and and about that. Of course, I find that really uncomfortable. I, she's 20, but I look at her and I still see a you know a four year old standing mm. in front of me. But like I mean, my wife has been saying to me for years, you know, look, we as, as as mature adults, we need to be having these conversations because the world is changing and it is getting much 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 more dangerous. And the young the younger we start, start having these conversations with our kids, I believe, the better.
4: We're discussing the Anna Kriagel case with uh, Shane Dunphy, who's a child protection expert. Some of your comments, uh, Jerry. will you ask Shane, and I won't say the word, will those two uh, get at least 15 years in a sentence? This is, this is just dreadful, says John. Well, we're not going to talk about the sentence, John, because that is for the courts to go back to, and we'll have to wait and see and watch on that one there. Uh, another one here coming to us by WhatsApp from Mina. She says, my daughter is six. I refuse to allow her an ipad tablet etc she is book mad i believe the screen brigade is a form of lazy parenting as shane mentioned a moment ago there to you jerry let children be children again and there's more on that line but there's another one here that i want to come back to and it says jerry will you please ask shane when is the age to introduce the discussion on sex and sexual matter shane uh, can
0: I just uh, say to John, first of all, Jerry, that we're not, um, you and I are not dodging mm. no. talking about the thing no. we actually can't, no, we can't for legal reasons. That's it. There's, there's a, a limit around what we can and can't yes. talk about. So John, I appreciate what you're saying, but unfortunately we're just prohibited mm. from having that discussion. Um, when should you start having the talk? Um, that's a really good question. I would say that children start becoming aware of the differences in the genders, shall we say, that men have bits that women don't have, etc., and vice versa, uh, as as young as three years of age. So I think being open with your kids, just around even stuff like that, naming the body parts and all that kind of stuff, um, I think is really important. Um, As young as they start talking about it and expressing an interest themselves. um, These days, once kids start going to school, The discussions of boyfriends and girlfriends begin really, really early now. I mean, I I would see kids as young as seven and eight having discussions around boyfriends and girlfriends and having an awareness of that. Also, we now live in an environment where kids are seeing often quite sort of mature sexual stuff on TV and even through music videos. It's even in video games now. Mm. Uh, Video games have, have age Um, limitations on them because of some of their content. So kids are becoming aware of these things, um, you know, again, from sort of seven and eight. And I would think that is maybe a good age to start having Age appropriate conversations with them about relationships, about boyfriends and girlfriends. And really, as soon as they start asking questions, I, I would start answering them. Um, again, people say to me, God, you, know, you don't want to be taking their childhood away from them. You don't want them to lose their innocence. And I mean, I absolutely, absolutely agree with what your your previous uh, Texter said there about, you know, allowing children have their childhood and allowing them to get out and play and, you know, keeping the devices away from them if you possibly can. And if you can, great. But unfortunately, you can't keep them away from the television. And they're going to be encountering um tablets and phones and if, even if they don't have them their friends are going to so we just have to accept that they are going to be interacting with these things and and have that dialogue with them and have a relationship where they feel that they can come and ask you questions i mean Back in my day, again, when I was a kid, and I'm sure it was the same with you, Jerry, if you went and asked certain adult members of your family certain questions, you'd be given a kick in the arse and told, what are you know, door. Nobody asking that for? Exactly. Absolutely. We're not going to have that conversation. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm writing a book with a lady at the moment about her own experiences of surviving sexual abuse, and she was telling me that, uh, and she grew up in a house where even if a love scene came on the TV, even a couple kissing, the channel was switched over. Because, oh. you, know, the, you, you know, the family didn't watch that. The, the world has changed now and mm. kids are aware of it. And we need to be, they need to feel comfortable coming to us and asking us about it. So as young as they start asking
4: Okay. okay. We, we have a few minutes remaining. Time is going to beat us. And I, I thank you for joining us again today. I've been just glued myself to what, to what you've had to say, Shane. But I want to finish with this one because... I was thinking about this myself in the last 24 hours or so, and I was thinking about things like empathy, feeling, having a soul, good versus evil, right against wrong. Surely this is the fundamentals of human life that we need to hand on to our children as well. Yes, we do. We do. Uh,
0: Again, you're entering into a very, very tough area. I will say that the act what happened to Anna was an evil thing. Uh, there is no denying that. And my heart is broken for her and for her family. I look at the photographs of her. You know, I see my own daughter in her. I see some of my students. She particularly reminds me of a couple of students I've taught this year, you know, amazing young women. And I always say you look at a photograph of somebody like her and you think of the potential, what she could have become, what she could, what good things she could have contributed to the world. And we are all lesser for having that taken away. However, am I going to turn around and say that these two young boys were evil? Um, I'm not prepared to do that. I'm prepared to say that what they did was appalling. But it's, it's clear to me that there was a series of mistakes that were made, bad choices that were made by them. Um, bad choices that that happened around them that brought this about. We need to learn from what happened so that Anna's death was not in vain. Um, Absolutely, we need to be talking to our, our, our kids about, you know, if you do this, if you treat someone in a particular way, that is wrong. We need to be investing empathy in our children. How would you feel? If this happens to you, put yourself into their place. Again, coming back to the dangers of social media, social media fosters a kind of communication often because of the fact that there's a barrier. There's a screen and a keyboard between you and the person that you're interacting with, which often facilitates the rudest and the most harsh way of communicating. We see awful online bullying going on, uh, particularly in, on environments like Twitter and stuff like that, where people say things that others don't agree with, and everybody piles on and says the most appalling things. And it's it's creating an environment now where people seem to think that that's okay. It's not. It's rude, and it's bullying, and it's aggressive, and it's not acceptable. Uh, we, You know, whatever happens to being nice to one another? What's wrong with being nice to one another? And, and it, it's the message that I consistently try and give out through my work, that the best advice that I can give young people, the best advice that I can give anybody is be kind. Kindness is something that we should be fostering within our kids. And part of that is if you see somebody being given a hard time, say to your friends, look, this is not OK. Let's go over and express some solidarity with this person and say to the others, they're with us. We accept them. We think that they're okay, and we're not going to allow you to do this. And you know what? If we teach our kids to do that, we're not just turning our kids into strong, independent, right-thinking people. We're also making the world a better place and creating better and stronger communities. And we're not teaching our kids to be weak by teaching them to stand up for other people. We're teaching them to be strong. And I I just think we all need to be really, really thinking about that. And if that's what we take away from this awful event, well, then at least something positive will have come from it.
4: Shane? That's the way to leave it today, and let people ponder on that. I thank you sincerely for taking the time to join us on the show today, and I really do appreciate your expertise. Thank you so Always much. It was a pleasure,
0: Jerry. Thank you very much. Take care best. of yourself.
4: Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Shane Dunphy there, isn't he? A wonderful guy, child protection expert, and head of social studies department at Waterford Institute of Further Education. well, I can tell you he's alive and well and he's here in the studio with me now because the last time I spoke to him, he was chained to a tree. I, I had to say that, Shane, I you know. I you had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to because... <laughs> I know, and I'm sure you get that from lots well, of other... friends. a lot
5: of people want me to be chained to a tree and still, I, I'm still getting <laughs> slagged over it. <laughs> Every, all my clients are going, are you still chained to a
4: tree? <laughs> Well, Shane Holland, yes. you are so welcome to Late Lunch and it's good to meet you in person. And he is the man that we spoke to. Do you remember they were Cutting Down the Trees in Scaries? And that campaign goes on, folks. It's Absolutely. still going on today. Yeah. Uh, watch the space on that one. Anyway, you're with me today to talk a little more about yourself. You're an award-winning designer. Tell them what you design.
5: Well, I design a lot of uh, bespoke lighting, furniture, awards and even sculptural pieces. So it's a, it's a mixed bag, but kind of my... My training is as an industrial designer and I went to the College of Art in Thomas Street, you know, NCAD. And I kind of worked there as a technician for six years and kind of set up my studio in Dublin in the early 90s, at you know, in Dublin 1. So I've kind of gone from having a, a business which was started off as a model making business and then it started then it kind of ran into making things for films like the Michael Collins film and The Butcher Boy and The Boxer with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis and stuff for Ardmore Studios and then it kind of you know that that whole thing is a bit of a circus you know in terms of they want you to be out in the field at six in the morning and we had our kind of model making prototyping business uh, started in a basement in North Frederick Street opposite Walton's Music Shop and then it moved to a bigger place and then in 2006, I moved out to Dulique, where I am now. Um, I love that. Away. I love so that.
4: From D1 to Dulique. <laughs> that's it. There's a lovely ring about that, isn't yeah, there? That's it. But that's where you are now. You're based that in, yeah, in Dulique. And yeah. you've sort of morphed, like from what you tell me there, mm-hmm. your business has morphed into different aspects that's of it. design.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of strands to it, I suppose. The, the training was kind of as a prototyper and model maker, and sometimes those businesses get a bit flaky, and you go through recession number two or three and you figure out where you're at. So. A lot of the time it's actually gone towards the interiors market, you know, and doing lights and furniture and front of house for uh, some of the hotels and business to business kind of stuff, like some of the fancy bu- buildings down in the Docklands in Dublin. Now we're doing big lighting installations Terrific. for some of those kind of guys. Mm. So you're always watching out, well, where do you need to be and what? Yeah. how do you need to change it? And we've, you know, kind of battled through the different recessions to to kind of still be standing, which is which is important. I was going to
4: say that to you. You are a business that's obviously subject to the cold winds of a downturn, and definitely. No need to talk to you about that ten-year yeah. thing that yeah. happened, but but here you are. You've come through, and yeah. you're doing well today. Yes,
5: yeah, we're doing well. We're busy enough now, I suppose. Like when I decided where was I going to move back to, you know, coming from me originally and been born in Drahada, you know, it was an obvious place to kind of look at. And I was very happy to come into the kind of Drogheda area because there was a good hub of other businesses that could help me out. You know, glass fellas and uh, stone people and laser cutters. So there was a bit of a hub around this area and I thought it was a very good place to set up my business and
4: I don't regret it one bit. And you don't have the headaches of getting into Dublin 1 and out of Dublin 1 and things well, like that as well. Well, you have go in and out but I you know. choose your
5: times, yeah. On your time. That's, that's, that's yeah, a big difference absolutely.
4: than the commute. No. You are a multi-talented man, I have to say, and I want to talk to you in particular about this. What do you call it? Is it a passion, a project, or whatever? First off, you're born in Dunshockland, so you're landlocked, but you love the, the sea. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you love the seas, and you I love do, boating, yeah. don't you? Yeah.
5: Well, I suppose when I was a teenager, we used to go. Um, we used to go over to Skerrys and Rush and Malahide uh, my dad is a Mayo man and he was kind of he had a, he, little mirror dinghies and GP14s and we used to I suppose we were pretty reluctant teenagers on his crew but we did go there and we would have gone to Kerry and you know each year go to a different coastal county as well on our holidays so it was kind of part of our upbringing and when I moved to Skerrys then I was going I'm definitely going to use the sea I'm going to get out kayaking I'm going to get out as much and I've developed Good friends who are in that kind of thing, and it's kind of developed onto other things. Then, for me, since then,
4: yeah. So the kayaking, and you're familiar with all the coast around where we are here now, yeah. up to North Louth and beyond, and right down. And we've done the boin, you know, uh, we've gone yes. out from Slane to the, yes. the sea and all that. So yeah. you know all the waterways around here, and yeah. you have a good grasp of them. But from kayak to Curruk is a bit of a jump. It is a
5: bit. Of, <laughs> well, that was that was a kind of an ambition to do. First of all, as a designer. I was kind of interested in redesigning a Couric because I thought these things are an Irish design classic, you know, of of any of the things that are on our coast and any of the things that were kind of in decline. I was thinking, that okay, there's all these old guys that used to make them in the 70s and 80s and, you know, they're kind of, they need to pass it on to the next generation for it to survive. And I was keen that, you know, from having done uh, kayak trips in Mayo and Galway and Clare, and down in Kerry as well you're looking at these lovely things and saying God there's less of them here and you know in the 70s when I was a kid in Doolin there used to be stacks of them Mm. and you'd be you'd be thinking okay this would be a lovely project and I got stuck in there in 2018 and we I designed one um, and there was a there was a previous story just a bit it was kind of there was a competition for the for the 1916 centenary with the National Museum and I pitched the redesign of a Couric to the National Museum now we would have got maybe 15 or 20 grand to research it and go down the west and talk to all of the, the people who would have been makers. But in the end, I came second and we didn't get any money, but I said, well, feck it, I'll do it anyway. You're going <laughs> to make this. I'm going to make this. And with, some, with uh, five or six lads in, in Scaries and Teddy's shed, Teddy's a Berliner, and he said, you can, have our, you can have our garage, we'll make it over the winter. And we did it in 2018.
4: With traditional materials or different?
5: Oh, traditional and different. So we use cork larch. Uh, like larch is a very good boat builders material and it was you know it was grown in Cork and we got it up to Flanagan's in Dulique who supplied it to us and then we I probably would have done some of the heavy cutting and stuff in Dulique and then brought it up to the shed in Skerry's and we started to build it and then we've used ballistic nylon which is the stuff that they use in stab vests and in uh, knee pads and things for tool belts you know it's a very tough kind of nylon material. Is that the skin? the skin of the boat instead of tar yeah, over, over flower bags yeah. and canvas yeah. yeah. it's a tougher thing so if you hit a rock you have a bit more of a chance mm. with it and there's no tar on it it's just it's tech seven along the sewing lines yes and we got a fella in, in the Bally McKenney road in Drogheda one of Frank's friends to uh, to sew it up on his industrial sewing machine and then we sort was of was this the 84 it. year old man that's Frank yeah Frank is uh he he's a story in itself uh, frank is a great guy he he lives on the seafront in Scaries and he he has had so many careers mm. um just talking to him is an amazing thing and you know the whole even the whole 1916 thing you know the we didn't get the prize from the national museum because we couldn't tie this whole what is the link from just normal people doing things to 1916, mm. and in the end, Frank's dad was in. <laughs> he was in the GPO in 1916. Right. He was in the army. Then Frank was he used to. He used to teach the motorcycling skills in the army. Then he was a uranium miner up in in Canada during the fifties when there were Indians at the hey, side of the lake. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> I feel <laughs> another
4: guest coming oh, for he, late yeah. lunch. So with he this was. Man. So he, he did the
5: stitching and and yeah. And well, I, we did. it, mm. I suppose we did some of the 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 industrial stitching and then we stitched it by hand for all yes. the seams that had to be finally mm. done you know so very hand built boat about six months it took in the even in the winters in the evenings to do it yeah must have been special the day you put her out and away you went how many people will it take it'll take it'll take three rowers and then it could take a a person at the at the rudder and then it'll take a, a boy or a dog at the front. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've half a dozen five, in it. Yeah,
4: five, six, six in it seven, yeah. as well. Now the thing is you've been out on the high seas with this moving around and going yeah. on different trips and there's no this is this is rowing. This is a you have motorized No, there's no, no none of that list. business. Okay. No,
5: this is all this is blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. You can see the hands there. I see them. That's practice. Yeah. Apart from the workshop stuff, yeah. but um, yeah, you. That's the whole beauty of it, and the beauty with kayaking as well is that there's zero, zero emissions. Mm. O- other than from <laughs> Oh, <laughs> the government the will love you, and uh, you know you have to just put in the you put in the hard yards in order to move. But it's a beautiful thing, and
4: outdoor boat motors don't do it for me. Okay, so yeah. here you are, our naturel, with your uh, new uh, vessel, yeah. and you're out and about in the seas round where we're talking from today. Now. Plastic in the seas is a big issue at the moment, it highlighted is. by an awful lot of people, including David Attenborough, who's been yeah. prominent about it, and lots others as well. And what's going on out there? Mm. How, tell them how many items have you collected in in terms of plastic from the islands around Skerries and North County Dublin. We have collected
5: just just on the islands off Skerries. We've collected over ten thousand pieces in forty-eight trips, so between the f- over two years ago I started doing this probably in about uh, April or May and so it's about two years and three months I've done 48 trips and we have collected yeah certainly over 10,000 pieces and now at the moment we're getting into the heavier stuff which can be lifted out by the Couric so all of the lobster pots all of the the tangled nets and ropes and things that are buried into the into the island so there's about 50 years of, of rubbish out there
4: oh and and it is significant obviously
5: it's huge like you have a lot of you have breeding seals you have birds you have you've people you have birds getting caught into into nets and things it's just the stuff I've seen out there just you know something had to be done it's beyond the kind of realms of the council nobody really very few people go out there so therefore mm. it's it's really we consider it to be kind of our territory in some ways and fixing it and take every time we go out for a trip Fill you gather, bag, you gather stuff it into the Kirk or the kayak and now we bring it back to the foreshore and then the council will remove it you know you put it beside the bins and they'll, they'll, they'll take put it back in. to the depot ok yeah. so it is recycled properly
4: yeah. so this is purely a passion well, for it's, you
5: well it's a thing where I just I got annoyed looking at this stuff I said I can't just relax out here looking at all this stuff so I started picking it up there was a boat there was a basket floating in the water one day you know one of the fishermen's kind of the, the kind of things that look like a laundry basket. Yes. And um I just brought it to the shore, filled it up and brought it back, you know, strapped it on mm. the back and then just kept going and is, counted it.
4: Is it mostly like you mentioned a lot of nets and pots and stuff to do with fishermen? Yeah. But you must pick up domestic stuff, do you, as well? well bottles, you know, LucasAid bottles,
5: every sort of blister packs, everything we consume, everything that ends up on a beach, everything, all the all the coffee cups, you name it, cans, everything that is, uh, particularly anything that floats. So all of the bottles, like thousands of bottles, mm. were collected. So these
4: these make the way with tides and currents out round these islands, get lodged in little yeah. inlets and bays round the islands and that. Is that it? it, you pick
5: the, it up? The, I suppose the tides, because there's only a couple of islands in the Irish Sea, you know, yeah. like there's the ones off Belfast, which is... Um, and then there's one off doki and you know there aren't very many mm-hmm. islands so the tides are bringing them north and south up towards the yes. up towards antrim and then flushing them back down so stuff gets caught on these islands yes. and even bullocks and dolphins and we found all sorts of things out there and it's it's very it just, the tides bring certain things to certain little yes. groves and it mm. just gets
4: all kind of. It's sort of up. a catchment for this stuff as it's the, like as the tides and it's that It's middle. like yes. a filter yeah. of the tides, yeah. Shane, stay there for a, a few moments. Uh, we're heading to a short break. Shane Holland is with us on late launch. He's a cork he's built himself. He sails the seas beside us beside us here and he's doing a great job for the environment. Award-winning designer Shane Holland is with me on late launch. He's built this most magnificent car. Do you take anyone out with you? Or is your crew fixed? No, well, we have. No, we've had
5: people from all over the place. We've a, we had a Belgian girl out there last week uh, who's visiting Scaries. We've had all sorts of people, visitors that come out and kids mm. that are visiting. So whoever we can... Whoever hits us at the right time, <laughs> they get in the boat. The, that's fine. There you Once on, they can the, row for their supper, <laughs> <laughs>
4: there's an opportunity of a spin there yeah, for you. Yeah. Now tied in with all this, tell me about the Three Island Challenge that's taking place as part of the Scaries Midsummer Festival this weekend. What is this about? Well, Jerry, if you're if you're old enough to remember the
5: Toshi, the Chock ad, yes, the Guinness ad, and the keg and in the I back, am. and the keg <laughs> and in the, the back, and the clock ticking. For the lads waiting for the keg to come into the island, that's it's kind of based on that. So we have uh, we have a keg of Guinness as a prize for the crews that are coming out from uh, Ringsend and East Wall, and hopefully we can get down the, the some of the New Grange and draw crews in like the Inverculla people. And yes, we've been talking as well. Our, we'd
1: if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers.
5: been up with the Carlingford people as well. So okay. we're, we're expecting about four or five boats to go around the three islands of Skerries, which is, first of all, Colt, and then St. Patrick's, which is the one with the little church further out, and then Shenick is the one with the Martello Tower on it, mm. and we'll tip off Shenick and hit the shore, then the south the south shore on Saturday at, kind of starting at about half two, so everybody's welcome to come down and have a look at the spectacle, which will be... Uh, Four or five boats going around the island. So that's half two on Saturday.
4: What's that point again? You're Sout- going
5: uh, South Strand. So okay. there's a there's a kind of a there's a public toilet there in the middle of the strand, and it's near the life uh, the, the kind of there's the lifeguard hut is, is up another bit. So there's a there's a mid a midsummer Scaries festival. Yes, and that's on over the weekend from okay. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and there'll be tents and you know different. Different events going on, and there's a there's a ball, and there's all sorts of things. But we're we're part of it, and we're just delighted to get the currics out and invite our friends from, you know, from Dublin and different places to come out and and support us and go
4: around the islands. So tell me about this keg of Guinness. You've got a keg of Guinness from <laughs> Arthur himself, or his... well um, from
5: Ollie's bar actually in Scarys. I have to give him a plug. <laughs> you better do that.
4: And yeah. Where will that
5: keg be on one of the islands? Well, we're thinking of putting it onto onto and then the first boat to get to get to Shenick, picks up the keg we possibly put the empties on, on all of the boats just as a kind of a handicap but certainly yeah. whoever gets it first they have to share it though. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing. We have other prizes for everybody to do it. So it's a challenge yes. rather than a race. It's more okay. if you do it you get to shore yeah. you're in. Isn't that you're interesting? In with a shout. This is yeah. something
4: really different but that ad you mentioned an iconic Guinness oh, ad because you can best. see the boys walking with, with the boat over their heads. You yeah, can just see them walking right. along and yeah. the boys sitting waiting with the clock ticking. For yeah. the barrel to arrive, the longest wait. So it'll be like <laughs> that in Skerries this weekend on the but Saturday afternoon, isn't on it? The Saturday, Saturday the twenty second. Yeah, and
5: we're we're hoping to have a good crowd uh, watching and supporting the whole thing, and we'll be, you know um just making having a display and maybe if we've time to bring out a few kids or or have people up and down the strand with us as well you know Great. there to people are interested in boats and interested in seeing the build uh you know they're very welcome to, mm. it, to come up to us it must be
4: so different to be out there looking in towards the shore because we have one focus the majority of us we stand on, on the, the shore and enjoy the beaches or whatever yeah. swim or that but to be out there looking back
5: you don't believe you don't realize until you're out there how remote it can be just off the Dublin coast. You know, like those islands are super for wildlife and even if you go further out to Rockabille, uh, you know, there's a half there's a quarter of a million terns nesting on, on Rockabille, for mm. example. And then you have seals uh in October, they're they're breeding and there's pups and the whole lot out there so that's kind of why I suppose the whole cleaning of the islands has been very important to me when you see all of the cormorants and everybody out there and you think okay they don't need to be nesting in all these bottles and rubbish that's lying around so now fortunately the islands are in a very good condition and we've nearly got everything off them and Mm. just hope to maintain it but it's it's really uh, an amazing resource on our doorstep and it's only you know it's only a kilometre or two off the coast that you have those islands so it's it's a very, it's very accessible by kayak and and Couric, but you need to be careful with these things. You mm. know, there's there's a lot of rocks and of different course. things and, and tides. Yeah, of course, they're small. They're not uh, inhabited by anybody. You know. Who
4: owns them? Are they public property or?
5: Well, there was um, the the McDonough family own. Uh, they own Shinnick Island, and the there was a kind of a. Some of the islands were kind of handed back to the state in the eighties. Or have control by Birdwatch Ireland, but generally, yeah. I think um, they're kind of in the in the state ownership, as far as I know. In terms of the, there is no farming. There used to be farming on Schenick up to the, maybe the seventies, mm. and there used to be maybe a few sheep onto uh, Saint Patrick's Island that would have been brought out. But at the moment, there is no nobody on it. I think in the sixties there was a there was a hippie commune that was going to set up on one of the islands, and there weren't exactly the townspeople of Scaries were. Not as enamoured <laughs> about the whole thing as you could have imagined, but it was, uh, you know, they were they were kind of not exactly encouraging it. Yeah, I can I can understand that as well. Yeah.
4: Rockabille has somebody living, has it? Yeah, yeah. and yeah.
5: we sometimes paddle out there and there's wardens on it at the moment. So mm. particularly during nesting season, there's, I think, three wardens and they're all either linked in with Trinity College or they count all yes. the all the eggs and everything and they will they will kind of stop you at the at the pier like you can kind of stop there but you're not really encouraged to come out during the middle of the summer mm. but you can just take a breather and, yeah, and head back in yeah
4: they are important to the environment and ecology and the whole you know the oh, natural yeah. world of this neck of the woods and well. Lambay is a huge resource you Lambay. know like puffins and a mm. whole lot of them out the back yeah. of Lambay maybe it's amazing. Lambay I'm thinking of that there's somebody living on is there somebody in Rockabill just come well, back well there's, there. there's wardens on Rockabille. so just Rocker- the wardens it's, but it's nobody a, lives on it or no well they live on it during the summer yeah so they do it, it. they do okay. it
5: five months and then but Lambay certainly Lambay has is inha- inhabited yeah has. Yeah, that's
4: true that's where I had the slight mix up in my mind so the for the foreseeable future do you take it out most weekends or oh, we do a couple of nights a week during the summer do but you? like yeah. obviously
5: it just depends getting you know we'd have a WhatsApp group and we just go who's on you know high tide is usually the time that we go out and uh, because we're going from the beach there's not a slipway there so we just roll it a, you know we have a little trolley and we we land it up at the pipe there and, mm. and slide it in and three of us at any time and it could be any anything from my son Alton who's 14 to, to Frank at 84 and there's a good probably about 10 of us that are sort of in the in the mix In the loop for a cork yeah. spin and That's of it.
4: course weather dependent very important Absolutely. to mention that yes, as well indeed. Anyway wish you well with this undertaking this weekend Scary's Midsummer Festival happening at Midsummer weekend Saturday the 22nd half past two Half two approximately yeah High Get Tide is at three so we're Lovely. just going out a
5: bit before that
4: Get along there and you'll enjoy it and you'll see what we've been talking about here on Late Lunch today. Wish you well, Shane Holland. Thank you, Jerk. And this song is just especially (laughs) for you. Let's hear it. Thanks, Shane. Cheers.
0: Take these chains from my heart and set me free You've grown cold and no longer care for me Oh, my faith in you is gone But the heartaches linger on Take these chains from my heart and set me free
4: Time to talk to Barbara on late lunch. Yes, I'm delighted to welcome back one of our regular psychotherapists. Barbara Kelly is with us for the next while. Barbara, good to see you again. Hello, Thank dear, you for joining me. I have a number of questions for you. Let's go. No time to uh, delay. Here's the first. My ex wants to take her two children to Spain for two weeks during the summer, along with his new girlfriend. We have an amicable arrangement for custody, which has been working well for nearly a year now. However, this situation is just a bridge too far for me. No problem with my former husband, but I wouldn't be happy with having a seven and nine-year-old away for a fortnight with this other woman. There's sure to be ructions, but I'm not for turning am I right and within my rights, Barbara.
3: This is a tough one. And, you know, like we were saying, lots of people are probably in this situation at the moment, you know, whether it is that they really don't want their children to go away or whether it is something that they're kind of thinking about in the future that may come up. Um, First of all, to say, you know, this listener says um, about an amical arrangement. I'm wondering whether this has actually been something that has been legally arranged or whether it has been just agreed between the two parties. I'm kind of feeling it may just be an agreement between two people who up until now maybe have had good communication. Mm. Um, So... I suppose just to start off on that basis if this was a legal custody you know arrangement well then there's very clear guidelines about you know what the rights of the mother and the father And would holidays
4: be included in that? Yes. Should be should absolutely be. Okay.
3: yes all of this should be really clearly defined Um and if that is the case that this is something that has been legally defined and has been agreed upon well then you know what you've got to go with it okay. that's you know unless you've got a particular reason Um and I'm get, kind of getting a feeling from this is it that perhaps this listener is having you know she speaks about this woman now that kind of brings up two questions for me first of all is this listener concerned about this woman as in her ex's new partner because is there some issue is she afraid that her children are unsafe so we're talking about a welfare issue um, and that brings us into a whole other and we'll talk about that in a moment or does she just not like this woman and let's be honest, I think a lot of people can relate when a relationship breaks down and, a, and, and their ex-partner moves on. A lot of people don't like the new partner and that's actually more to do with a personal you know, issue rather than anything wrong with the person. So I'm wondering, so if we start off and say, right, if there is a safety concern, if for some reason this listener is concerned that her children are unsafe, there's a question around their welfare, then we need to say, right, what's going on here? You need to act immediately. If you are ever worried that your children are in the company, are being supervised or whatever by somebody who you feel there's a safety or a welfare issue, you must act immediately. You need to, you know, contact uh, TUSLA. You need to contact the guards. You need to contact your solicitor. And that then needs to be dealt with legally, that if there's any kind of concern around a child's welfare. But I'm feeling that perhaps this is more of an issue of that the listener doesn't like this person, this Mm. new partner. And that then brings us into a whole other thing. You know, is the listener kind of feeling, look, I don't want my children, and they are still quite young. I don't want them going away for two weeks because they're going to be without me for two weeks. I'm going to miss them and they're going to miss me. Or maybe she just thinks I don't like this woman and I don't want her for two weeks being around my children. That's not really fair. That's where I'm coming from on this, you know, We're talking about the best interest of children here. And you know what? Wouldn't it be wonderful for the children to spend two weeks with their dad away, making memories, having experiences? And if it is actually, you know, and this is something sometimes you have to dig really deep and go, look, what is actually my problem here? Is my problem that I'm just feeling I'm going to miss my kids? I don't want to think of another woman standing in my shoes for two weeks with my children. Then that's your issue that you need to deal with. So it's 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 kind of like you know you could look at this and go look you've got 2 weeks potentially of having 2 weeks to do your own thing, two weeks of freedom. There's
4: the upside of it, yes. but I can see what you're saying—that uh, you and know it's tough. that loneliness feeling, yeah. and you know maybe becoming close to somebody else, they'll forget about yeah. me, all this and type I, of and, stuff.
3: And there's no judgment here. I totally understand, yep. but I think mm-hmm. you know what? Sometimes we have to be really honest and go, "Is this more about me and my feelings than actually?" Because we can say, "I'm not my children. I don't want them." You know, they they'll, they'll miss me and whatever. They may miss you, but they may also have a great time. And isn't it a wonderful bonding experience to have with their dad? So I'm just saying, you know, totally understand that it may be tough, but look at this from the best interest of of the children and also turn it around and go, could this mean two weeks that I can go and do some wonderful things and look after myself?
4: Lots to ponder over there for you. Here's another one. I keep waking up in a panic that I'm old and single. That says a lot of people in this club for sure. I'm only in my mid 30s. Come on. I've split up with a long term partner in recent years. All my friends are coupled up, some married and some even have children. I've been on a few dates both online and with people I've met out and about but None have worked out. I won't let myself fall into the trap of allowing anyone into my life because of desperation, but I fear I just might have to. Most men are taken for, and I'm hearing horrible stories of internet dating, which I'm extra careful about. Time is ticking away, and I want to be a mum and a partner to somebody, but I'm waking up in pools of sweat most nights and dreaming that I'm old and completely on my own
3: you wouldn't believe the amount of people who who actually have this conversation with me that are in their early to mid 30s and feel oh my goodness all my friends are pairing off going off getting you know married or having kids or you know whatever and there's this sudden panic and i i kind of think you know this idea that when you're in your mid 30s you're too old who said that well, where does that come from you know absolutely let's be honest society kind of says that doesn't it it's sort of like you know there's an expectation that particularly women, should fall into a certain, you know, thing that you're you're at a certain age, biologically, you know, tick, 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 you need to have kids. and And I just think, you know what, stop, stop falling in line with this pressure that we get from what society says, because we're putting pressure on ourselves. And when we put that kind of pressure, and then that panic starts to rise, it really has a huge negative impact on how we think. We start to really think, those sort of, you know, the stress, the anxiety, oh my God, oh my God, time is running out. I have to, I have to, I have to. And when we you know, do that to our thinking, our feelings, that anxiety, we can feel really down. And that also then has a huge impact on how we start behaving and and, and acting. You know, you see people who kind of either fall into that category of, oh my goodness, I have to start dating willy-nilly, I have to get out there. And they end up dating a lot of people who they would never choose to date, but there's that desperation. And then they have multiple relationships that are, you know, quite destructive on their self-esteem and all of that are we the other side that sometimes people fall into where they go oh well you know what's the point it's too late now and they cut off all possibilities you know so
4: two extremes there and
3: people tend let's be Mm. honest we do tend to go to extremes when we go into that irrational place of thinking and i'm kind of my my place that i come from is is that i go do you know just relax stop relax Dating in your mid-30s, your 40s, even in your 50s is a completely different experience than dating in your teens and your 20s. So stop kind of going, oh my goodness, well, you know, when I started going out with somebody when I was 18, we dated till I was, you know, 26 or 28 or 25. And then I realised it wasn't the right person. If I start doing that at 35, oh my God, I'll be 40. No, It's completely different. When you start dating in your 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it is, it's a very different experience. You tend to be much more selective with who you date. You tend to be drawn to people where you've got similar maybe backgrounds, experiences. You didn't have that when you were in your 20s. Um, And also, it's almost like the lifespan of dating is very different as well. We do tend to date for shorter periods of time because we know quicker whether we're clicking or not so don't be thinking oh my god then I'll be 40 and then I'll be 50 if you meet the right person in your 30s you know within a couple of months whether it's going in the right direction or not so stop panicking (laughs) (laughs) and I think do you know what if I was to give any advice and I don't like to give advice as such but if I was to I would say go out and have some fun Start joining groups, you know, looking at hobbies, going out, joining different types of groups. Where you are, yes, meeting new people, potentially meeting new partners, but that's not your main agenda. Your main agenda is to have fun, to find more about yourself, more interests. And it's amazing. You know the old saying... A watched kettle never boils yes when you stop putting pressure on yourself and you actually start looking at yourself from a place of let's go out and enjoy myself have fun you kind of give out this different message and this different energy and you start to go I'm meeting much more interesting people that I really resonate with and, and it changes the dynamic so go out have fun try different things if you meet people that you click with brilliant if you don't Who cares? You're having fun. And I do think that online dating is a brilliant tool nowadays. Um, But you've got to use it the right way. It's about, you know, doing it with the idea of I'm going out on a date, but I'm going to have some fun. I'm not going out going, is this the person? Is this the one? Is this the one? (laughs) Because, you know, that gives...
4: (laughs) an energy out. (laughs) Exactly, and it's all about energies, is right. Barbara Kelly's staying with us. She has more answers to your questions in a couple of moments. Psychotherapist Barbara Kelly is with us answering your questions. This has just come in by text. I've been watching Love Island and the scenario where Joe has told Lucy to start hanging out with girls. And this has been bothering me. Incidentally, it says he was kicked off last night. No, I don't watch it. I don't know whether you do, Barbara, but I'm reading what I'm getting here. I've been going out with my boyfriend for six months, and I'm just mad about him. Before him, I had loads of male friends, and I adjo- I enjoyed their advice and company. However, now my boyfriend is telling me that my male friends make him insecure, and he's worried I leave him for one. Oh, it's caused a lot of rows, and now I'm finding that I'm slowly stopping myself answering calls and texts from those friends, just to keep the peace. I suppose if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd find myself jealous too. But what do you think?
3: Mm. We've touched on this before. If you if you remember Jerry in the past, you know that idea of is is it possible to have a platonic friendship with somebody of the opposite sex? And as I've always said, yes, of course it is. But it's real. It's a very interesting area because I do think it brings up a lot of issues in relationships. Um, well, first of all, I don't watch Love Island, but I think that this is a, a very important topic to cover. Yes, so. You know, we're, we're, we're saying about um, platonic, a platonic relationship or relationships in, in this. Um, I feel from reading this that this is more about this, this boyfriend's insecurities than it is about the listener's, you know, mm. behaviour. Mm. Now, I could be wrong. And I think the, the, the listener needs to kind of stop and go, OK, why is this suddenly coming up after six months? That's the first thing. Is it that something has changed? Maybe, you know, look, are you spending less time with your 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 partner and maybe more time with friends? And maybe he is feeling a little bit left out and he's putting it down to the whole, you know, the, the maleness of your friends. And actually, maybe it is that he's feeling a little bit shut out or forgotten. And if that's the case, maybe look at it and go, oh, maybe I have kind of been spending more time with my, my friends. But that's not about... What, what? whether they're male or female, that's more about, you know, the quality of the time you're spending with your, your partner. If you look and go, no, after six months, that hasn't changed. It's the same. But now it's become an issue that I have friends that are males. Then I will be quite concerned. And the reason I will be concerned is that Look, it could be something quite minor, like the boyfriend's own insecurities starting to kind of come to the surface. And if that's the case, look, he needs to deal with that himself. You can't fix that for him. He needs to, to deal with that and look and go, look, why are you feeling insecure? But the reason I would be concerned is that often, and I'm not saying in this relationship, but we need to be careful because often in unhealthy relationships, they start off as seemingly wonderful, perfect, the honeymoon period. And slowly over a number of months, little flags start appearing. And one of the flags is when one of the partners become particularly controlling. And, you know, it can be controlling around anything. But one of the areas it is around controlling who you can be friends with. And that's why I'm concerned in this situation. This may not be the situation here and the listener will know whether this fits or not. But if this is starting to resonate with the listener, I want them just to just be... Mindful about this for a minute. If the, you know, is this an isolated issue where the your boyfriend is literally just showing insecurities around maybe particular a particular friend or something, or do you feel there's other little things going on? Controlling can be things around you know what you wear, how you behave, the friends you have, even you know how much time you may spend chatting to friends or meeting with them. But beyond just the norm. So it's little things that are just trying to bring you down to a place where you're being controlled. You don't have the same power and choice in your life. So I'm just saying, listen and just have a look and see. Is there any other little things in in, in your life that are... are because
4: it has to be a worry when somebody else wants to dictate who or what or when you should or shouldn't see people if that's been the norm for you
3: Well this is it you know I I gather that going into this relationship six months ago that this listener had all these friends male, female, whatever that she came in as this but after six months for some reason things have changed and that's why I'm saying any sudden change or, or even a gradual change is always like just stop and look and see is it just you know look let's be honest if the listener goes, look, I'll be honest with you, I did maybe flirt a little bit or I sent a few inappropriate texts and you know what, I can see that this may have really stirred some stuff, then she needs to say, I own that and I actually need to mend that. That doesn't mean she needs to cut out all her male friends, but she does need to assess her boundaries and what actually is the dynamic in this relationship with with males and females. Um, and if that, she needs to own it and, and look at that. But if actually nothing has really changed, then it would say to me, You've got to maybe sit down with your partner and have a very honest conversation that you're not OK with being told who you can and cannot. You can go to, you know, do some couple work together and that can really help highlight because a good therapist will very quickly see. Now, you need to really be careful with, with this because I would always check what if I was going to, to you know, recommendations around therapists. A good therapist will see that dynamic in a relationship where one person is being more controlling and will pick up on it and will challenge it. And also individual counselling can be great too, both for the listener to bring up her own self-esteem, but also for perhaps her her partner. If he has some insecurities, he could really go and work on that.
4: Isn't it interesting that something like Love Island prompts a question like that as well?
3: Isn't it (laughs) one of the really good outcomes from... Reality TV. Sometimes it does get people talking. Sadly, there's so many negatives that we've talked about before. You know, but yes, this is definitely one of the good things to get this conversation going. That is for
4: sure. Barbara, thank you so much for joining me. And if you want to talk to Barbara at any stage in a private capacity, we have our contact details.
0: I
3: actually have Have my number number? here. It is 087 3622 352. I never remember, (laughs) but I wrote it down today. (laughs) Good on you.
4: See you next time. Thanks Thanks, a million, Barbara. Top of the show, we were talking to Shane. Dunfee about the Anna Creagel case. Uh, some more of your comments. Jerry, there are no winners here, just losers uh, for Anna, the families, and even society. All losers, says Anne in Navin. In terms of uh, Anna and bullying in general, says another listener, there seems to be reluctance or fear. For people to step in and do something in case they're targeted themselves. How have we come uh, this far that we can't stand uh, up for somebody and we stand by and watch people being bullied? Thanks indeed for that. Shane did mention that when he was with well. us. Another one says Hi Jerry. my heart goes out uh, to the parents of Anna. Uh, I also feel sorry for the parents of boy A and B. I'm sure they didn't uh, tell them to do this or what they did uh, but let the two boys uh, take on board the sentence that comes their way. It's very, very heartbreaking, the whole story, says another listener, and so on and so on. They go on late lunch uh, this afternoon.
1: Jerry, what day is it today? Wednesday. Well, it is, but it's actually National Burger Day and National Burgery Awareness Day. Did you know that?
4: Burgers... And, bur- and burglaries well, get- well in our house it's curry day every oh, Wednesday right. is curry day just to let you know that but you see these days I have a crow to pick or I'll get the old soapbox up now and hop up on it it's just become ridiculous all these days now I that's yeah, under- a bit of fun Jerry. it's bullshit <laughs> could you say that <laughs> Uh can I tell you why? Um, I understand Daffodil Day and um, one we've been talking about recently, motor and urine awareness and things like that. You know, big and days. And World Refugee
3: Day, which you, is tomorrow. Yeah,
4: you know, you know, days like that are significant for, for many, many people. But those type of things are only... Well, at least you, know, you don't say, have to I'm go not out say and buy word. a card for it. You know, they're not... They're absolute Lincoln nonsense. You were telling me yesterday was what? Yesterday was National Go Fishing Day. You missed that one. <laughs> There's not many fishing days I missed. <laughs> you miss. could
3: used that as an excuse.
4: <laughs> I could have. I could have. But even that's nonsense. There's so many of those things, mm. and you hear you hear them talked on radio stations ad infinitum. It's such a day to day. Well, just go and copy yourselves on and get <laughs> real. And
1: Jerry, I've just thought of something.
4: Smell the coffee.
1: What do you get if you cross National Burger Day with National Burglary Awareness Day? A cheese burglar who says, let
5: us in. <laughs>
4: Where did you get that? Did very you come cheesy. up with that yourself? Yeah. That's one of Louise's cheesy ones, that's right. That's for <laughs> sure. But come on, give us a break these days. Expunge them. Wipe them off the calendar. Christmas Day, very important. Easter, you know, things like that. Bank holidays, stuff like that. And those days that are big organisations. Well, but the rest is just give you a pain in there. wouldn't mind if they made them bank holidays. Well, then should we never be at work? <laughs> because you have something every day of the week on. Anyway, As national tomorrow is... I'm declaring tomorrow National Send Maggots and the Post to Somebody Day.
1: Near enough it's National Ugliest Dog Day. Tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah.
4: Where do they come up with them? I'll tell you one thing I've met a few ugly dogs in my time. They haven't Ooh. been f- They weren't four legged to be honest. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, nonsense. Rond, nonsense. More. Nonsense of the I'll tell you no more. Nonsense of the highest order as they say. Let's get If you could real. make a
6: day up what would it be?
4: now there's one I'll have to think about that Mm. I'll think about that for tomorrow so you want me to make up a day
5: yeah if you could make up one of these that's ridiculous
4: and nonsense and yeah Yeah. okay anyone else with any ideas out there what would be a ridiculous day to name a day national pick your nose day (laughs) 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 that's every day (laughs) for everybody no it's not you shouldn't do that it's not nice now, where are we headed? We're heading to our final break of the afternoon, midweek late launch and afterwards at the Sudbury School. We spoke about it here in late launch about a year ago. A mum was uh, living here in Slane in County Meath in Ireland and was moving lock, stock and barrel to the west coast to Sligo to send her children to the Sudbury School. Do you remember it? Well, we'll refresh you anyway and we'll find out how the girls have got on. A year ago on Late Lunch, we spoke with Julie Meehan, who was relocating her family to Sligo from Slane after deciding to enrol her two daughters into the newly opened Sudbury School. Julie's back with us on the line from the West as uh, summer beckons at the end of the first year. And we're also joined by Gail Nagel, who runs the school. You're welcome to the show, ladies. Gail, if I could start with yourself... Will you tell our listeners, in a, give us a synopsis of what the Sudbury School is all about?
7: Um, the Sudbury School, I suppose, is a school where children have um, their own voice, they have their own choice, and they have an opportunity to follow their own interests and their own learning pursuits, in short.
4: <laughs> so it's not like a conventional school. There are not uh, different times set aside in the day in a timetable for different subjects.
7: No, there are, stru- there are structured elements as well, but they, are, they come from the student body themselves. So if a student wanted to organise to do, um, you know, structured maths lessons, he might um, or she might uh, set up a structured time to do that. But outside of that, you know, there's no, um, there's no set curriculum and timetable as there is in um, mainstream school.
4: But how could a, a junior infant or a senior infant make that decision?
7: They're extremely competent junior infant and senior infant children at that age. They tend to know very, very well what it is they enjoy doing, what it is they require, and um, what the important skills and knowledge uh, they actually need to know are to make them kind of successful uh, or five, six year olds. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting to watch this year actually, to watch the students of that age and older ages kind of thrive and really step up um, to the challenge of uh, kind of directing their own day and uh, helping us to govern the school together.
4: So they do some academia, is that what you're saying? Do they do the basics, English, maths?
7: If they do. So... So, no pursuits would be kind of considered more um, more valuable than others. So, some students have a, have a strong interest in doing academic uh, what we would kind of consider more academic learning. Some of them are interested in following a path into college. A lot of our students kind of you know set up different clubs to study together. A lot of them are studying independently. Yes, yeah. so there's there are all those kind of academic subjects going on, but there's also a wide range of other other activities going on as well, and they're valued equally.
4: Okay, so they can play, they can go outdoors, they can, can they watch TV, things like that?
7: Yeah, they most of the time, I suppose, a lot of the time is spent playing outdoors, a lot of it, and, and collaborating and doing different kinds of games. Again, depends on the students. Some of the children are more kind of natural indoors people, mm. and they, um, they do different activities inside. There's a lot of art activities, English, maths, some of the students did philosophy, a lot of cooking, a lot of baking, we've done some woodwork, we've done a really wide range of different things, but it's all kind of come from the students' interest level, and some of the staff, obviously, have interests that they bring into the school as well, but yeah, there's a lot of outdoor play, so the children are really engaged in physical activity, um, learning about their own strengths and weaknesses, and um, engaging in really age-appropriate physical play as well, yeah.
4: Now, you're starting off, obviously you don't have enough children to form significant classes at each level, so they mix age-wise as well, Yes.
7: Yeah, and it wouldn't be part of the ethos that we would do that either, uh, have classes of 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 specific areas. So, yeah, everybody is kind of mixing together. And some children do go off in their own um, age range groups. So there might be a group of six year olds playing together uh, for long periods of time. But they also, you know, uh, separate out of those groups and uh, come and join the rest of the school community as well. So, yeah, from five to 15 and with the adults, everybody is kind of mixing together. Um, and special interest groups are set up then. So say somebody's interested in philosophy, for example, there, could, there is a philosophy club and there's people, you know, of mixed ages in that, anyone who's interested in, in chatting about those kind of subjects.
4: Mm, so you take them from five to 15?
7: Uh, we take from 5 to 18, but our 18. other student at the
4: moment is 15. It's 15. Yeah. OK, yeah, because you're, you're really finding your way and getting going. Let's uh, have a chat now with a user of the Sudbury School. Yes, we spoke to her about a year ago. Julie Meehan is on the line. Afternoon, Julie.
6: Hi, Jerry. How are you?
4: I'm very good. Nice to talk to you again a year on. So you've had both your daughters at the school for a full year now, going right through from start in September now to summer break. How has it been?
6: It's been it's been wonderful, really. It's been quite the journey. You know, I, I know that word is used a lot, but it, it really does feel like it's been quite a developmental journey for everybody, you know, for the two girls, for us as a family. And I can see how it is for the whole school itself.
4: The girls' different age groups. So you had Clariana first. She was going into second class, if you talk about formal school. And then, secondly, your other daughter, Amy, right, was in play school. Was there any difficulty assimilating for either of
6: them? We were very curious about that, um, especially Clariana, given that she had, you know, she had done three years of formal national school. Um, And, you know, there's this period in the Sudbury school model where they talk about de-schooling, which is a period where if a child has been in a more structured form um, of an environmental setting and they move into the sub school environment where they are, you know, there's an open invitation for them to follow their own pursuits. Um, they go through this natural phase of just learning what to do with with that mm. and I mean, maybe a lot of the time not doing what they would have done in formal school. So we were quite conscious of that with Clariana. And I mean, I haven't been in the school. You know, Gail might be better able to answer that in some way. But she seems to have adapted really, really well. She she knew intellectually. She really got the concept. Mm. I think that really, really helped. And um, we've just been supporting her with that. And not putting any pressure on her whatsoever mm. to follow one route over the other, so as a result, she seems to have adapted very well, and she's really probably had to step up herself, as, as Gail used that term, stepping up you know to really dig deep as well in terms of um, looking to her own skills, yes and looking to herself rather than relying on an authority figure to elicit learning.
4: Mm. And and Amy was younger, obviously coming from the play school, as she had a time yes. of adapting. Do you notice like, when they're home a difference in them? Can you see a significant difference from last year? Now, I'm sure moving from Slain to Sligo was a bit of an upheaval for them anyway.
6: Yes, exactly, it was. So it's hard to separate those two out. You can't really. Um, it might be different if we'd been living in Sligo anyway. Um, we wouldn't have had that factor. But... Have I seen a difference in them at home? Yes, I would say that in general, even though they're two siblings and they have their differences like every other set of siblings, they seem to be quicker to work things out amongst themselves.
5: Hmm.
6: So, you know, as a parent, you'll often say, well, maybe you two should work this out. Hmm. Um, And they actually do a lot more now. So one of them, you know, they, they may pause a little bit more, or one of them will step in and say, look, OK, I'll share that or whatever it might be. Now, not all the time, but I would say that there is a significant difference in that. Mm. Um, they were always good at pursuing their own interests in anyway and pottering, but I probably would have seen more of that as well. You know, they can go off and potter and play and not look to us so much for guidance.
4: Isn't that great? You know, the parents especially, and I hope that continues for you for the summer. Come and entertain us. What have you got lined up for us today? But they're more self-sufficient, you're saying to me.
6: A little bit more. Yeah. yeah. And what we've also done as a family, the four of us, is we've tried to invite in the democratic process more at home because that's an integral part of the Sudbury school model, that everything in the school is decided democratically between the student body and the staff body. So now at home, we're trying to do more of that. Instead of us just making decisions, we are inviting them in, uh, into the family unit more. So that's wonderful. And they're very confident in making their own decisions, which I'm sure Gail will be able to reiterate. Yes, yes, um, that's interesting. And that's changed the system. That's changed, changed the whole flow of our family, mm, actually. Mm,
4: for the better, you'd say?
6: Yes, definitely
4: brilliant that that's great to hear that. look, time's going to beat us quickly back to the uh do I call you the school principal? God though no no. <laughs> no, Gail. no we're
7: all staff members here and we all, all right. have different roles, but yeah, yeah no we're 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 staff and students, and we're we try to promote as much as possible the the equity um between all of us so there's no there's no boss or no top authority figure mm. um you know talking or or making rules for for the math, Yes, <laughs> we're all trying to work together as a collaborative
4: team. But this is taking off. I see it's expanding, and your numbers are going to double next term as well. So people are looking to this as as yeah, an alternative
7: absolutely, yeah, we very much feel like we're it's part of a movement, especially here in ireland well it, it it's it's not a new concept, obviously it's a new concept to a lot of us here, but it's a hundred years old and more this philosophy of education actually hundreds of years old but um there's, uh, there's a couple more Sudbury schools looking to start up in the next 12 months. Um, there's East Cork, West Cork, Galway. There's one in North Dublin, as far as I'm aware. Um, East Clare. And there's Wicklow Subbury. Obviously, they started before us. They're looking for a, a forever home at the moment. They have to move premises. But yeah, so we're going to maybe start to get together as a group of people and just talk about um, what we can do to, to support each other with start up and that. And people are definitely looking for alternatives. Um, we think we're kind of getting to a bit of a tipping point and I suppose I'd really recommend to people if they are looking for um something else, or you know at this period for exams and a lot of people under stress and anxiety. Not to say that the the system that we have isn't isn't suitable for some people, but you know self-directed education is a really, really important and um, valuable alternative that people can look to, and you know it's perfectly we're perfectly within our rights to follow this kind of education.: yeah.
4: um, Yes, you are indeed. I have to say that. Have to leave it there, ladies for the day. Okay. Thank you, Julie, for joining me and Gail. really appreciate the catch up.. Okay, Take care. Wish you well with Sudbury School. And just one final comment before we go. Children have far too much to say. What about the old wise saying children should be seen and not heard? Well, I think we have to listen to them more and engage them more. You know, when you think of what happened in that uh, case uh, that uh, the judge decided on yesterday and we started talking about top of the show, the Anna Creagel case, it's important, as Shane Dunphy told us, to bring them into the conversation on all things as early as possible. Thank you indeed for your comment. We do appreciate them. Eddie's up next with The Drive. We'll be back with Thursday's Late Lunch from half one. See you then. The late lunch with Blackstone Motors. Get low
1: as can be APR, zero deposit required, and finance arranged within four hours
3: with all 192 pre ordered renos What are you waiting for? There's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, drada or Cavan.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.